Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Top 100 Clubhouse, the ultimate podcast for golf course enthusiasts worldwide. I'm your host, James Henderson, and we're about to embark on a journey through lush fairways and breathtaking landscapes, as well as delving deep into the minds of fascinating individuals from every corner of the golfing universe. Get ready to explore the world's top golf courses through the eyes of those who know them best. The Top 100 Clubhouse podcast is brought to you by Eden Mill, bringing the tradition of distilling back to St Andrews, Lahoma Golf. When you mention Scotland uh, to anyone over the world, uh, one of the main places they'll mention is St Andrews because of that connection, connection to golf. For us to really bring, bring whiskey back and connect in to the local history of the town, but really just adds an extra layer, um, an extra feather in the cap of what St Andrews has to offer. This week on the pod, we have Martin Ebert. Martin Ebert is the retained architect for eight of the ten open rota golf courses. He's also done some brilliant renovation work around the world at Horono and Turnbury. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Martin. Thank you very much for being here. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, it's great. It's always good to be at St Andrews. Yeah, it's a special, special place. We're here for the Walker Cup, and uh, are you here? Have you been here for a few days, or no? Just, just arrived. Um, just arrived, and uh, yeah, I think the weather's set fair. A shame, in a way, it would be nice if they were tested by some some really strong wind, but don't think it's going to happen. Um, I would like to start off with uh, asking you, how did you get into golf? Mm. What was your? Yeah, it's an interesting one that because um, no real family background in golf. My uncle played. So I just used to go and caddy for him every now and again. Um, but I remember seeing it on the television thinking I'd love to, I'd love to have a go at that. Um, and yeah, then it was a case of how do you start? So in those days with no parents playing, then you just couldn't get onto a golf course really. So my great mum, who's still with us, you know, she took me down to the, the Colnbrook driving range at Heathrow airport on the way to her, her work there. And, um, and I think mum and dad got me a 10 pound set of secondhand clubs and just just stayed there till the hands bled really and or blistered um, and just you know, really loved the game. They thought it would be a bit of a fad for me, um, but it turned out that it wasn't. And uh, it continued to you know, the current day, I guess, which is crazy when you think about it. And how did you get into architecture from that love of the game? Well, I, yeah, I guess um, you know, my, in terms of playing career, it was never stellar, but, um, but I ended up at Cambridge University, played in the team, um, despite having a particularly bad first trial, but we won't need to go into that. Um, but eventually got into the first team, ended up as secretary of the golf club in the hundredth or the year of the hundredth varsity match, Oxford and Cambridge. Um, we decided we, you know, we thought let's celebrate that occasion, um, by a tour off to the, to the States. So we went off to the Northeast part of the United States. We played Pine Valley, Merion, Shinnecock Hills, Baltus Roll, Garden City, Maidstone, all the municipal courses. Oh. Martin, <laughs> I mean, we were lucky. We had a we had a good friend who who um, uh, a guy um, Oxford and Cambridge Golfing Society guy who was working out there, and um, and he managed to fix up all of the fixtures for us, which was great. Um, but that really led to me thinking I'd love to do something in golf because I was leading that tour. Um, I really wanted to, um, yeah, to well, I was captain of that tour and wanted to as a result, do something in golf. But I didn't think I could design golf courses. Um, so came back instead of you know, having studied engineering, didn't want to do engineering, didn't want to do the banking, didn't want to do the management consultancy, didn't want to do you know all the stuff that would be normal after a career at Cambridge. Um, 
and ended up being a waiter at a golf club. But uh, so that was a bit crazy. Luckily, I met my my wife um, there, and that was a bit strange that we were both there, but we were. Um, she knew Sevy, which was an incredible. Um, actually, had met him and tried on his green jacket, so that was pretty oh, wow. special. Um, so that was love straight away. Um, <laughs> the green jacket, the green jacket story, <laughs> um, and um, and but then yeah, didn't think I could design. Was about to sort of. I wasn't getting anywhere really, and then all of a sudden, um, a good friend at Cambridge, Andy McKenzie, um, his brother Tom, who's my current partner, he got in touch and said, "Look, I know you're looking for something in the golf game. Uh, I'm working for Donald Steele. Um, he's very busy. Perhaps we could, you know, get together and, uh, or you perhaps he, you know, he, there'd be an opportunity for you here." I knew Donald um, more as a writer, I suppose, at that point, um, and uh, you know, didn't know if it was really to research books or what it was. But anyway, it turned out that it was, you know, get stuck into into golf course design. And he was a great guy to learn from. You know, his his contacts were tremendous. Um, his you know general principles and philosophy regarding the game was you know was superb. You know, very sort of links orientated. I suppose he played at he played in the Open here in 1970. Um, won the president's putter um, three times in different decades and whatever. So great, great uh, chap and inspiration to have, you know, as a boss. Um, but I guess Tom and I, we took the took the sort of technology forward um, with the way that we design um, because Donald was very much more of a sort of a hands-on person rather than a, a plan drawer. Um, but uh, so we took the, the business um, in that sort of direction for Donald and with Donald. Um, and we had some great projects um, through to 2005 when um so i started in 1990 with donald continued to 2005 donald closed down the company and that led myself and tom to start up mckenzie and ebert um you obviously learned a lot from uh, donald what is your approach to what things have you changed in your approach from donald to the modern day changes you make now um i think in terms of the way we design that's probably the biggest change um you know we we now believe in in producing very detailed plans, um, and you know, so that's probably, I think that's what we would be known for. You know, contractors and whatever. If they if they would make a comment on the way that we work, they say, well, they produce you know some of the most detailed plans that we come across. You know, we've had experience of that in America. A great company called Landscapes Unlimited we did a course for Donald. It sort of straddled the two companies, um, and that was um, um, you know, a question of of producing those plans, sending them over to the landscapes guys. And they said, we've never seen plans like this. They, we also took a shaper and they said, what size of bulldozer does he want? And we said, he doesn't want a bulldozer. He wants an excavator. And they said, really? We've never built a green with an excavator before. Um, anyway, they got him his excavator. Marcus Terry did a great job on a beautiful course called Primland in the, in Virginia. I don't know if you've been out, out there. Jim's nodding there. So. And um, yeah, what a, what an incredible project it was. 13,000 acres or 13,000 acres. Martin, can I just take one sec? Jim, can you hold the mic up at your mouth? Kip. Just because if we can't hear you, then it's going to be a nightmare. Um, yeah. Sorry, Primland. Yeah, Primland. So 13,500 acres of land. Um, and you know, we had a, we spent a day looking around the place and we couldn't find anywhere which was suitable for a golf course in 13,500 acres. So we were left with having to go back to the client saying, not sure you've got enough land, even though you had 13,500 acres. <laughs> but that night we got the plans out and, um, and saw that there was a, it looked like a flat area, but up at the top of the mountain. And they said, surely you don't want to go up there. You know, it's, it's five or 10 degrees colder. 
it's about 40 minutes drive from the entrance gate to get up there once you're in the property. So, well, no, look, take us there. That could be the, you know, the one place. Next day we went and it was, it was just the most magical place with the incredible views from off the top, you know, sheer drops in places. Um, but anyway, Landscapes built the course. Marcus Terry did the shaping of the greens and the bunkers. And at the end of it, they said we couldn't have shaped these, these greens um, with, a, with a bulldozer. You know, it had to have an excavator. So I guess that was a sort of the detail of the shapes that um, we wanted to create that I guess we've always felt as good as these guys are with bulldozers, they are brilliant. Um, but as good as they are, you know, the, the the smaller scale, and it's still a big machine, a 13-ton excavator, but the smaller scale of that allows the detail of the shapes to be, um, you know, it's, it's, it's like a, I suppose, um, well, what is it, you know, compared to this sort of massive 12-foot wide blade, you know, it's a much smaller implement to get the shapes. Um, and I think, again, that's inspired by, you know, some of the shapes out here at the old course when you, you know, I just love coming here because just all of those natural shapes, some of them man-made though, I have to say, um, you know, they, they're just beautiful, the intricacies of them. So I think that's what inspires us. And you know, still it's a challenge to try and emulate what's out there and what the, the great old architects did. And I think they were the best. And on that, Martin, you said, obviously the old course, as, as many golf course architects would cite as a huge influence. Are there, are there any other golf courses, that, whether they be classic or modern, that you revere enough that it, it gives you that inspiration and you go, oh, I must use that when we're in this situation. Yeah. Re- Why not try Eden Mills' The Guard Bridge blended malt whiskey or golf gin? Visit our sponsor's site, www.edenmill.com for more information. Eden Mills St. Andrews, bringing the art of distilling back to St. Andrews. Interesting question. You know, old course, I think is, I know it's everyone says it, but it, it is true in terms of, you know, there's no course like it. Um, but when you look at the detail of it, it yeah, there's some real beautiful stuff there on, you know, fairway shapes, green surround shapes, green shapes as well. But I think you learn from everywhere, Simon, to be honest. When you know, I was recently in, in America, I had the privilege to go and visit um, Old Elm and uh, um, and Shoreacres. And wow, think, love those And you think of what, you know, what Seth Rayner did at Shoreacres, for instance, you know, not having seen some of the holes that he was inspired to design, uh, you know, but the, you know, the leaving hole, you know, just seeing, seeing that on the ground. And it was great. I was at London yesterday and just sort of thinking, you know, he never saw this, but he produced something brilliant at Shore Acres. So that was inspiring. Yeah. You know, just seeing, seeing that, you know, the beer, it's green and whatever. It's just amazing. What, what I was so impressed with Shore Acres and Old Elm, both of them, you know, were tremendous. Didn't get to Chicago, sadly, but let's do that next time. Maybe. So there's so many courses, which you can be inspired by, I think. Um, and, I guess it's when the detail is right up there that you then sort of start thinking, yeah, that is something to be inspired by. But also, you, know, you have to be you know, honest and say, God, could I do that? Is it possible? And you know, just that's where I think you probably never stop learning in this game, and we're always trying to, um, you know, improve and 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 get the right the right shapes. Because for me, it comes down to shapes. Um, okay, the the course routing is one thing, but um, you know, once you've got that right, then you know, that the detail of the shaping is the key key thing for anyone, I think. Go on, Jim. Could I just ask, uh, 
your trip to US was it connected with any potential projects, Mark? You could talk. Well, yeah, we have um, a, a great uh, a new course project, a strange one really. There was a course put there, but it never opened um, on on Puerto Rico um, coastal coastal site. Um, just some stunning, really sort of stunning coastal stretches for it. Um, but I say the course never never opened. The, the two developers went bust. Now the, the current um, uh, people, the you know, clients that we're working for, you know, it seems to be on a very solid footing and they're great people to work for. They just want the best out of the golf. They're changing where houses are going just so that we can get the best out of the site for the golf. That's a great... That's great to hear. To have. Yeah, no, it really is. So that's a special one. And that was, you know, it was on the back of that. And then we got the inv- invitation to go and look at, um, um, you know, a couple of courses in, uh, and not well, one of them... Um, to go and have a look at North Shore, uh, where they just had the the Western Amateur, so that was interesting to see. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we'll we'll see what what comes. But it would be nice, I think. You know, we've we've had so much work, I guess, in in the UK and Ireland, Europe. Um, now, obviously, New South Wales, Hirono in Japan was a great project for us. Hamilton in Canada. So, I think our outreach is is expanding now, and it would be great, you know, to think that we might have the opportunity with some of the great American courses that were, you know, designed by British influenced architects, if not British architects. Um, so I'd like to jump in there because you mentioned Hirono. So I, th- mm. I think, and correct me if you think this is unfair, but just because of the, the nature of the big names you've been able to do the renovations at, and I know Jim and I have talked about this and James, you know, the huge success at Turnbury, I think almost, I think it's fair to class that as a bit of a sacred cow that mm-hmm. there was maybe things that, there that weren't, as good as were promoted before. And then after the changes now, I think anyone that goes there that isn't blown away mm. needs to have a good look at themselves. It's just like fantastic. But then Hirono, I was fortunate enough to play both before and after right. um, your work there and, and congratulations. What a spectacular Thank success you. that has been. And what were the challenges of working in Japan or mm. if we can flip back to Turnbury, a very famous owner there as well with <laughs> yeah. input from maybe the club or an owner and bouncing yeah. out the client's, uh, wishes versus your own creative integrity sure. as well. Yeah, I mean, Turnbury was a fascinating one, um, as you say, a very famous owner um, who we didn't think, you know, I didn't think that we would be, you know, dealing with with Mr. Trump, you know, for the project. Um, when um, when we first heard that, that Mr. Trump was going to buy Turnbury, we thought, well, that's the end of us, really, because at the, t- <laughs> at the time he was working with Martin Hawtrey up at Aberdeen, Gil Hans over at um, uh, Doral. So we just thought, wow, that's sad. Yeah, having had a lot of involvement at Turnbury, but a frustrated involvement. We did some work, you know, some good work for the 2009 Open or some, you know, some inspiring, exciting work for the 2009 Open. But there were other plans that we hadn't been able to, to push through. George Brown, the great old course manager, you know, he'd always had this idea for the 11th hole um, that we now have onto new lands that, uh, you know, originally Philip Mackenzie Ross didn't have to play with. Um, so, but the owners at that time, they just had no, no desire to, uh, to follow that through. They didn't really have much interest in the golf, it seemed. Um, so then to get, you know, to have an owner that really wanted to get the very best out of Turnbury was fantastic. Um, did not expect him to have so much you know, hands on 
um, you know, desire to to you know influence the design and draw the plans and whatever. It was it was incredible. So, uh, any ideas that that um, Mr. Yeah. Trump had that you put in play or yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, nine was a, was nine was yeah. an interesting one, Jim, as you say. So, so nine, I was I was pushing for a short four. I thought we could get something really really exciting as a short four, and he was adamant that it was going to be a, a par three and a long par. It had to be a long par three from that tee, uh, the champ, the old championship tee. So. Um, and yeah, you know, went backwards and forwards over that one. And I think he's right. I'll have to hold my hands up and say, I think it plays better as the long three. It would have been probably too short as a short four. And as he said, people around the world, they think of, they focus on par threes. As good as short par fours are, we, we all know that a great short par four is fantastic. But somehow par three holes, exciting par three holes really do make a, make a, a mark. Um, so he won out on that one, but there was a few others where where I managed to hold my hold my own, <laughs> and um, and he did describe me as the most stubborn man as he'd, he'd ever met twice. <laughs> press, press so I don't know whether that's a compliment or not. Um, then, then if we flip to Hirono, yeah, um, I'm aware of. I think I'll maybe get this wrong. Is it the Shinto religion? Is that correct? It's everything. Nature is sacred. And I remember the first time I played Hirono, I just thought this place is just choked by trees, but what incredible bones it has. Mm, mm. Um, so talk to us about that process and how it was that, that part of it tricky. Like, was that a big sales job by yeah. you to, to be able to do that with the club well, or? I mean, I've had some people say, oh, you know, why didn't you take more trees out, you know, of Hirono? And my response to that is, well, again, we look back at the very earliest photographs of the course and there were trees around. There were these beautiful Japanese pines around. But you're right, Simon, they'd been choked by, you know, self-seeded trees, planted trees. You know, the back of the fifth green was just a sea of, of, of you know, conifers. And you know, just, oh, it really, yeah, that was a shame. But, you know, again, as you say, you could see the bones of it there. Um, so it, it was no, absolutely no problem. I guess one of the one one of the types of tree that we thought might be a bit of a, um, you know, an issue to suggest removing were, were cherry trees, knowing just how, how they love the you know, the cherry blossom season and what have you, but but again the captain Morimoto San said no no problem no problem we we can take those out no not not a not an issue but we haven't taken them all out you know because I think that's the beauty of Hirono is and golf in Japan these seasons that you get you know just the 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 spring cherry blossom um, the summer where everything's so verdant green for me the autumn is just the best with the maples coming out and we probably would have cut down a lot of maples and then. Yeah, our early visits were the early part of the year, and then we went in 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 the autumn and just thought, God, we can't take these maples out there; just so beautiful. So, so it's it's interesting how you taught us that you've got to see a course throughout the whole year to really get a feel for it. Um, but it was a special project. There was very much religious ceremony at the end when the the, you know, the priest had to come and bless the the course at the wow. opening. So yeah, that was special to be part of part of that. But no, it was a wonderful project. It, when we again got wind of the, you know, the fact that they wanted to restore, you know, it just seemed right up our street. Charles Hugh Allison, having been the designer, um, so again that British link, um, the fact that they had such good material, the the old photography, mm-hmm. old plans from Allison, they were all there. The one missing link that we didn't have, um, because that gave us so much character for the bunkers, for instance. But the one missing link we didn't have was any green detail. Um, and of course, Allison was only there for a week, so we don't know, you know, just how what those greens were like, whether they were as he wanted them. He left green plans, but they weren't that easy to decipher exactly what he wanted. Um, a lot of them were characterised by these sort of very big mounds at the at the back centre of greens, 
um, you know, in the green surround. Um, so those were all respected because, you know, he certainly referred to those in his plans. But I guess we had to sort of, in terms of green shapes, sort of imagine what, what uh, um, Charles Hugh Allison might have wanted. Um, but the bunkering was incredible, you know, just mm-hmm. to to see how they'd evolved in the very early years as well. Um, you know, recently contributed to an article in McKellar um, where, um, you know, it was described, you know, how initially the bunkers were fairly ordinary. They were, they were nice, but they weren't, they didn't have this beautiful intricacy. Um, but um, Alison brought over um, an American construction um, uh, supervisor called George Penglaze, but not to work on Hirono, to work on Tokyo. And uh, my theory is that that uh, the guys at Hirono, after Alison had left, they went down to see Tokyo, saw the bunkers that he was producing, and thought, oh, we need to have some of that, and, and copied that style up at Hirono, is the theory. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, within a couple of years, they, they'd become, I'd say, classics, and you know, absolutely brilliant shapes. Mm-hmm. So when we went there, it was, you know, a restoration committee had already been formed. We said, are you sure you want to restore these huge, great areas of sand? Um you know, it had the the name Pine Valley of Japan. So going there, we were expecting to see, you know, come across sand, you know, just a sandy site, not one grain of sand, uh, Hirono. So, <laughs> so when you see that, that huge bunker diagonally cutting across the, the carry of the 18th, that was all created. You know, nothing of that was, uh, was there before. So they imported all of that sand to create that look. Amazing. And very specifically uh, on Hirono, we did a bit of a deep dive here is, wonderful set of par threes and uh, but i specifically want to ask you about the 13th because of the change position mm. of the tee so for, for listeners um maybe haven't heard of Hirono before this wonderful golf course in japan the 12th hole is this sort of sort of sweeping dog like right left i say sweeping because there's trees so you can't really see the sweep and then was that hole extended and then they moved the original tee on 13 so now it plays almost like 90 yeah, degrees, degrees at a different angle i've, I've described that poorly right. but could yeah. you no no it? you've pretty much got it yeah the the 12th hole was extended twice in fact um allison designed it as a as a five bogey five i guess in those days um but then it yeah, green moved on once green moved on another time and i think it was the second move that it it sort of it sort of made more sense to walk on from that green and play the 13th from 90 degrees opposite, you know, of an angle compared to what the original hole. And the original hole got buried in the trees. Um, and that was one definite part of the brief when we when we went to meet the, the restoration committee was, we do want this oh, so hole. They, they drove that. that yeah, they drove it very, very, oh, wow. yeah, absolutely drove it. Um, and what we've ended up with is is both holes. So we've got the the one which it ended up becoming, but also we've restored that, that uh, 1930 hole as well and and i think the members like the 1931 yeah um, well that was the first time i played it this past autumn and the, the previous time was obviously the 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 old new tea if that makes sense yeah uh, was there any temptation to try and talk about moving that green back and making it a shorter hole as in the 12 so it flowed straight mm. onto that new tea not really no um there, i don't think it was even discussed i mean yeah it was maybe it was considered but uh um I don't know. I mean, it, I remember. I know your your colleague David Davis. Uh, you know, certainly felt that it, it's it was the the weak link of the course when he went to play. Well, I don't know. I mean, it was a it was a five, as I say, when it was originally conceived. Um, we all know how far these guys hit the ball now. I think it's a it's a true five, I and mean, it really is. It's getting over six hundred yards. I think so. Um, so I I think personally, I think it fits. I know it's for everybody to decide whether they think it does as well. 
I don't think the walk back is too bad, really. It's it's it, some some walks are worth it, and that one yeah. is. So that's and, uh, fine. Yeah, compared to some, I think it's. Uh, you know, if you didn't have the tea further on, I don't think you'd. I don't think you'd be too worried because you're walking off to the right. You're, we cleared a little bit, so you're looking down onto the lake and the beautiful bridge as well on the on the route back. So, um, so I, I personally, I think it's fine. But uh, um, so I, yeah, I, I like twelve the way it now is a you know a serious test of a three shot hole. Would you say your work there is one of your proudest uh, bits of work you've done, James? Absolutely, yeah, I think so. Um, you, you know, to to go out there so often 13 times in 10 months during construction, you know, we've had the odd criticism. Oh, these guys, they don't spend much time because they do it all with detailed plans and whatever, you know, 13 times in 10 months. I'm not sure many people would, would go. <laughs> well, it's interesting because your name's on a lot of golf courses now. Mm. You've been involved in, was it 300 odd golf courses? Would that be right? I don't know. I haven't quite counted. To be honest. 300, you never 300 neat in the website. Yep. Seriously? Yep. Is it? Oh God. Yep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do share those with Tom, obviously. It doesn't but, matter. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we we it shows that we've been in far too long in the business, I guess. But uh, <laughs> um, uh, so, what other changes would you say is your proudest changes? I mean, that's a that's a in terms of existing courses, Hirono, Turnbury, Portrush. Um, How about your solo design stuff? And solo design. I mean, if I focus on one of, close to my heart is Victoria in in Sri Lanka, um, designed for Donald, but I was the guy out there really, um, with Donald predominantly. And my father was born in Sri Lanka. So it was an opportunity for me to go and actually, you know, experience the Island for a start and to work with people that had knowing idea what golf was. Um, and then to end up, and it's, I think for me, it could be one, one of the most beautiful inland sites I've ever come across. Um, really is special, you know, by the, um, the Victoria Reservoir, so it's almost like a sea, but yeah, you know, the mountains are surrounding it. That was special. Um, Primlands, as I mentioned, that, that really is uh, you know right up there. Goodwood in Canada was a was a, a great opportunity to um, to be working on. But you know, it's true to say we, we would love to have done more new course work. Um, one of the ones that we hope will come up, and I think it would be classed more of a new course than anything. Is, is near here, St Andrews. That, I was going to ask you yeah, about St Andrews Bay. At the Fairmont. Yeah, I mean, we've got permission for everything that we, we, we want there. It just will be stunning when we get get, get that done. Um, yeah, we'll have, I think it's nine holes playing along the coast with greens on, on the right on the edge of the, the cliffs. Um, the views back to St Andrews are stunning. Um, so that really does excite me, I think, when we get that that finished. Then, uh, will it be a, a complete new build? Yeah, everything will be completely redone, Jim. So... You know, it's obviously there's two courses there at the moment, but the brief was we want the best 18 that we can get on this on this overall site. So obviously we've been greedy and just taken the whole coast, coastal frontage. Um, but uh, you know, I don't think there'll be many courses with as many holes along the along the cliffs. So yeah, and they're all so exciting in different ways. Um, so that'd be really special. Very exciting project. Yeah. Um, going to um, the other way. There's been a lot of noise around uh, the Open and Royal Liverpool, particularly the 17th. I know for a fact that I find the hole incredibly fun to play. And I'm pretty sure the viewers of the Open, there's going to be a huge number of people wanting to go to Liverpool because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, do you... Would you like to respond to anyone about those? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I guess you always... Um, your ears prick up more when the criticism, when you hear the criticism than you do when you hear the compliments. And I think there was a lot of people complimenting it as well, but yes, there were, there were some critics of it. You know, why do you create something, you know, just for drama, just for TV, just for the open. 
Um, but, you know, it's like saying, I suppose, you know, with uh, Carnoustie, would you fill the burn in, for instance, at the last few holes? You know what? Yeah. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> or get rid of water at 17 of sawgrass. Exactly. So, I know, I think it's, um, uh, you know, and I have to have declared everywhere, all the interviews that I've made about it, that it wasn't our conception. Um, you know, we certainly helped refine the the con- the concept of of having a a very short um, horizon line green hole, very short par three, which could you know danger abounds around it. Um, so yeah, I think we yeah, I think we certainly achieved that, and obviously we had to get the Im- implementation right and the detail of the design right. So um, I don't know. I would I would like to think in this era of of you know sheer power um, that when you're just asking the players to be precise, you know, and that is the test. You know, isn't that refreshing that, uh, you know, a hole of that length can really grab the attention? Um, and it was fascinating seeing it at the Open. I mean, obviously the weather was fairly benign. So, yeah, there were some some big scores. Um, but, um, you know, after I was watching the first 14 groups through and after the first two games went through, all hit the green, one birdie, five pars. I thought, God, this is going to be dull as ditch water. And then Lucas Herbert comes along with the lead, three under par. And uh, misses the green left, chips it into the bunker right, doesn't get out, <laughs> then takes three to get down for six shots. So I thought, well, maybe worth hanging around here. But, you know, they've recovered really well. It's brilliant to see their short game. You know, the, the way they got up and down out of the front bunker, for instance, was was incredible. So even I saw someone, I can't remember who it was now, but, you know, he got up and down from back left. Um, to a, oh, a I've been there a couple of times in matches, and my ball's just been put straight in the pocket. <laughs> his, his name wasn't Tommy Fleetwood, Martin. No, it wasn't Tommy. <laughs> Definitely wasn't Tommy. not. But you know, again, oh, would I love to have a chat with Tommy about that? But you know, the hole was playing. What was it? 132 yards that day, um, and you know, no wind at all. Must have been a bit of a misjudgment to to fly over the green because if a ball rolling over the back, you know, it was maintained in such a way that it would hang up on the on the, the rough fringe. So. You know, to to actually airmail the green like that, it must have been a slight error of judgment, I would say. As great a player as he is. Um, so, yeah, a test of judgment, a test of precision. Um, so I'd like to think that it, it does hold, you know, it, it's a, it will be regarded as a great hold in the future. The reports about it being blown up immediately afterwards in a certain newspaper, absolute rubbish. You know, the, the green chairman has confirmed uh, yes we'll review it and make some minor adjustments potentially but nothing nothing like blowing it up um jim you had an interesting stat about the difficulty of the hole at the open it was the eighth most difficult yeah no, I mean, it was, yeah I, mean, I guess the way we we're expecting it to play was that you know there'd be loads of birdies um and there was a one uh, but that there would be some you know some bigger scores as well so you know and i think that was borne out i think that hole the the third and the eighteenth were the ones which which produced more big scores than than any other holes. So, which is what we'd expect and what we'd sort of almost want from it, I guess. So, yeah, I, I hope it, um, you know, it 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 uh, generates more, you know, universal and wide, um, you know, from the the, the golf course um, architectural fanatics. I hope they, you know, they grow to to like it in general. But everyone's got their opinion. Well, you look at holes like um, the shorter style holes, like at Sawgrass or at uh, the Postage Stamp. Um, I can imagine they were quite controversial when they first came around, and now now look at them—they're iconic. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Postage Stamp is—it's just great, you know, standing on that tee. I've refereed the Open at Troon, and just the, you're sensing the nerves of the players until that ball's safely on the green. 
you know, so it's, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think of changing. That. On that note, being a referee in the mm. game as well, is there any crossover between the architecture and refereeing that, um, that caused any kind of friction within your career? No, I don't think so. No one's ever really known when I've gone out and refereed. I think only Matt Kuchar was the only one who asked what I do. <laughs> the, play, the players haven't got any interest in, in us, apart from when they've got a rule into which they need adjudicating. But uh, so no, none of them have even remotely known who I was. <laughs> Martin, one thing I'm desperate to ask, because you're here with us and very kind to give up your time, it's just off the back of some of the criticism of the 17th. Mm. Um, you know, we all love our golf. We, we like to think we're fairly well read and we look at some of the online forums and listen to various podcasts. And is it fair to say there's certain sort of industry darlings that are almost seemingly untouchable? And then unfortunately, there's a group of architects that are, that are super talented and it might not be to everyone's taste and that's fine. Everyone has an in, is entitled to their opinion. Do you feel that the certain architects that that I'm not wearing this well. It's almost like cool to have a go at. Yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like tri- I've had a bit of sense of that from a little bit of uh, um, recent feedback. But in some ways, maybe it's a sign of of success that you know you're now drawing that attention. But and yeah, I mean, God, I've got so much time for you know a lot of the guys that you know who are the darlings, you know, the dopes, the Corin Crenshaws, the Hanses. They do great work. They do fantastic work. Um, they do it differently to the way we do. Um, you know, we would, as I say, be more specific with with our plans. As I've often said, you know, we we. I guess try and do as much of our thinking, you know, before we get to the site, um, yeah, rather than uh, getting that inspiration on the site, not just with the architects, but with their associates. And we don't want to take away from, well, we still want to, we still have huge value in, in, and working relationship with the shapers as well. But I guess we're giving them more of a head start in terms of what, what we want as architects, I guess we feel that we should be the conductor of the orchestra um, and, and really, you know, when you're you're playing our courses, you know, you're playing what, what we want rather than what the design associate um, is is producing. Um, but they do great work. Um, you know, sometimes I think, you know, I have to say, some green green shapes are a little bit over wild for my taste. And I think, you know, would you want as a member, would you want to go and play that that course day in day out, week in week out? Um, you know, I think there's been a tendency to you know just try and outdo. You know, if you've got a number of design associates on a job, then there could be that element of trying to outdo one another. Um, yeah, I, so I think that there's dangers in that approach as well. Sorry, just going back to something you said there, um, you do obviously a lot of renovation work with very top historic <coughs> golf courses across the UK. Do you find sometimes that you're going to have to reapproach a green because, say, this, they want to have a quicker green or have a, um, well... Yeah, well, a quicker green would mm. be them. Is green speed something you have to think about a lot more now than you probably Absolutely. did 20, yeah, 30 yeah. years ago? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, over here, it's a little bit a little bit easier because, you know, the green speeds that certainly on the Lynx courses we're looking at, you know, the RNA would only want 10 and a half, 11 maybe. So, um, so that, yeah, but when you're getting up to 12 and 13, then it's, it's a different level. But again, you see, the way we design with very detailed plans, we can analyse... And anyone can analyze, you know, the the slopes of an existing green. But then to put the detailed design across and say, right, okay, all of a sudden, look at how many more flag positions you're getting. Then we're giving the club and the contractor and the shaper a plan specifically with specific levels where they can then, you know, build exactly to those rather than just working it in on the ground. And by doing that, you know, you can be much more confident that you're going to deliver a green where you're still keeping the character 
you know, because you don't want to dumb down these greens too much. But at the same time, yeah, like the the um, the eleventh here was a, a great you know, case in point, wasn't yeah, it? It was, great it was really badly criticised when when that was done, but. You could argue that was restoring a great old flag position that had been lost. One so. one of your bits of work that I really enjoyed was uh, your renovation of the Barretts at Nairn. I thought that well, was that was very, yeah, that was Tom actually, my partner. Was that Tom? So, yeah, so, uh, so I thought that I did well, make my first visit since he's done the work recently, but uh, it's it was a, it's eleven o'clock at night. So, uh, so I don't get um, the other thing I wanted to ask was because you do a lot of your planning before you arrive at the site. Do you ever feel arrive at a site and change your plans because you feel like you've missed something that you visually now see? Yeah, yeah. I think if there's any danger, you know that 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 you know that's why it's so important for us to be on site as well, is to make those you know, those decisions to adjust. Um, but uh, yeah, no, absolutely. We we always want to. That's why I went 13 times to Hirono. Really, was to get the the fine detail of you know we had Quinn Thompson, the great bunker shaper. You know he was he masterminded those bunkers and did a great job. When it came to greens, we had. Um, guy called Andy, who you know, he he did the the fine shaping of the of the green surfaces, um, uh, and you know, just having that on site presence to you know work with the guy who's just finally getting those levels, you know, I think was really important to just um, you know add the final little bit of detail. So, Simon, do you want to add anything? No, Any more I, I think that was fantastic. I'd love you to ask your your final question about. Uh, Favorite holes and things. Like oh that. yeah, my classic finishes. Yeah, yeah. You classic ready? finisher. We've, I think we're running favorite out of time because we want to yeah, make the Walker are. Cup ceremony. But <laughs> okay, um, f- first one is top five golf courses, and we okay, call it a Simon that. Holt top five because <laughs> um, he said about thirteen. So, um, what's your? And this is your favorites, not yeah. what you think's the best. No, 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 exactly. Well, I mean, I always sort of. It's not joking, really, but I'd put Askanish right up there because I just think it's so raw, it's so natural, it's so, you know, it's just golf as it used to be played. So Askanish is up there, the old course is up there. Um, where else? I hate saying the courses that we're involved with, but, you know, just going to Shore because I just thought that was fantastic. Really, really love seeing that course. Um, where else have we got down? Uh, yeah, I mean, Port Rush, I just think that, uh, you know, the the combination of, of the setting and the uh, and the and the, the detail of the you know of Harry Colt's greens, green surrounds and whatever is you know, you've got to have both. You've got to, I think three things: setting, the routings obviously is key, but also the detail of shapes. The, interestingly, um, on Port Rush, you have this very famous um, routing that you played with. Were you nervous about playing with the routing? Not really, because most a lot of people had said it was the best sixteen-hole course in the world. So, and you know, as soon as we saw the land we had to play with for the new holes, we knew that absolutely, you know, that we were going to end up with an improvement um, because the topography of those two holes is fantastic. Yeah, so, you've done so a good yeah, job. so we were com- very confident on that one. Um, I haven't given you my fifth course, and just so I don't upset Mr. Trump, then it's got to be turnbridge. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again to Martin for joining us. That was uh, really enjoyable. And hopefully we'll be hearing from Martin again soon. Any sort of uh, golf course comes up that he's involved in, it'd be great to get, you, get him back on. If you have any questions, email me at james at top100golfcourses.com or just ping us on Instagram. And remember, play fast, lunch slow. Lunch slow.